0: Good afternoon everyone. It is afternoon. It's noon here, at least where I am, not where you are in Texas. Uh, Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman, and I am very fortunate today to have Carrie Smith of the Deprogram podcast and YouTube channel too, right? Are you on YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube. Right, with me today, and we have got a great show for you. Um, If you're not familiar with Carrie. She is, um, so she's the founder of the, of the D program podcast, and she's also, um, the founder of civility dinners, which hopefully you can tell us a little (laughs) bit about. And you were, you were once upon a time, a, what they call a social justice warrior, or now we've transitioned to the term woke. And so what I'm hoping Carrie can do, I've invited her here today to give us some insight into what it's like growing up and Going into that sort of mindset of, you know, social justice, change the world, and then arriving at a point when you're an adult where you realize that isn't really you Mm -hmm. and you need to deprogram from that and what that's like, because many of us are parents, we have kids in schools or we just have kids, you know, interacting with other kids and other adults who are pushing them on social media everywhere to be woke. And it might be tempting to think, well it's just a phase or they'll all grow it or, oh, every kid wants to change the world and kind of feel like it doesn't have really lasting negative impact. And so I wanted Carrie to share with us the truth of that because there's more to it than that. So welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Deb, for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to finally talk to you. It's the first (laughs) time we've talked on camera. I know it is. So <laughs> it's, I mean, we've, we've talked to you a little bit behind the scenes about some of the stuff and I got interested in this topic because I heard Carrie talking about it on, a different, on another show. And it really hit me because I have, I guess you could call it a privilege in a way, the privilege of not having grown up woke or not having grown up even, I mean, to the extent that anyone tried to make me a social justice warrior. And I kind of beat that by virtue of generation, you know, the generation I'm in. Um, But even in college when it was going on, there's just something was about my personality that I was kind of always an iconoclast weirdo on the outside of everything. And in a way it worked to my benefit in the end because I didn't have to go through what you're going through. And I feel very lucky because it sounds. That's interesting to me, the people who
1: escaped it (laughs) because I knew so many people like myself who fell into it in school. Um, When I I assume a lot of the parents who who watch your show maybe have kids who are elementary school age or high school. All the way through, maybe K-12. College. It's mostly
0: yeah. K-12. Yeah, some college, but mostly K-12. I even have some K-12 students who tune in every now and again and are like, what's going on? Trying to you figure know? things out. Exactly. Well, yeah, so
1: when I fell into it, it was a while ago. This is, woke has been a long time coming. So I did not get any of this ideology fed to me in K-12, through fortunately and I was really lucky. I got to go to a science and math high school. It was a boarding school. It's state-funded. I grew up in South Carolina, and some of the schools like South Carolina that have uh, maybe below average um, uh, stats and education rates, they started these schools called governor schools, where you can apply. If you get in, it's residential and i lived there for 11th and 12th grade it was the best education i got it was better than i ended up going to duke university it was better than duke um but duke is where i encountered social justice and that was the the late 90s Mm -hmm. i'm aging myself but (laughs) uh yeah so it was at the time the way i encountered it in in school was it because of my minor so i was a women's studies minor i was a Biological, anthropology, anatomy major, but women's studies minor. And at that time, it had not infiltrated, this was over 20 years ago, so it had not infiltrated into the hard sciences really. I didn't get any of this messaging in my science classes, but I did get it through women's studies, critical race theory, um, gender theory, all the um, the classes I was taking as part of that minor. Mm-hmm. and the way that i understood it at that time and i think this is true for kids today too but now they're getting it in everywhere so i can't imagine how overwhelming it is they're getting it in the hard sciences in college they're getting it before they get to college they're getting it in kindergarten in some cases right so i don't know what that's like but i know that the the way in which i started falling into it was uh it was presented as a kind of liberalism it was presented as progressivism and something good and positive that's beneficial to the world and it really sells itself well it sells itself as an ideology that's about ending oppression ending racism ending sexism opening your eyes to the ways in which these invisible prejudices and isms impact society and you sort of move into it by degrees And, and that's definitely what happened to me. One of the first things they do, and I'm sure kids are learning this now before college is they change a lot of words. They change a lot of definitions. They're Mm -hmm. very concerned with controlling language. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things I learned was this new uh, attempted redefinition of racism and sexism, where they're saying, uh, racism is prejudice plus power. Sexism is prejudice plus power. Therefore, it's impossible to be racist towards white people, or it's impossible to be sexist towards men. And once you've got that belief implanted, then you can move further into it, because now you have a pat sort of explanation of why it is that you're, you're now being taught to judge people and treat people differently on the basis of race and sex your brain sort of short circuits, you no longer,
0: you're being told that's not racist to do that. And interesting. Yeah. And this is all the way back in the late nineties. Yeah. And, and what's so interesting to me is that they didn't have any burden. It's like, they keep moving that, that, that goal post too. They, they didn't have any burden to justify the equation of whiteness with power either, it sounds mm-hmm. like. And it, it, what is funny to me about that is they're just equating being a majority population which kind of by definition, if you're the majority population, you're going to have the majority of people in power going to look like you. I mean, it's, that's just the law of averages. Okay. So in in most cases, so they're equating like the majority population equals the people in power. And that's all we have to say about that. We don't need to, we don't need to explain people in Appalachia (laughs) or even South Carolina for that matter. Exactly. Or are not powerful.
1: Because they're looking at people, it, they, the social justice people, they teach you to look at people as group members first. You're not looking at Deb as an individual. You're looking at Deb as a white person and a woman and straight and, and everything is broken down by what identity groups you're in. And, right. and so one of the things we drew from back then, even, and I know everyone's drawing from it today, there are these, these pseudo academics, in the field today, um, one of the really popular ones is Robin D'Angelo, of course, mm-hmm. or Eva X. Kendi. They are building upon the work of prior pseudo-intellectuals who are pushing this stuff, like Peggy Mc- McIntosh. So mm-hmm. we were looking at Peggy McIntosh in the 80s. You know, she was this very, very privileged white woman, mm-hmm. you know, from the
0: 1%. Little, little protection maybe? Yeah,
1: <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah. She's looking at her life like, Why do I have everything? It must be my white. I
0: feel bad about it. I'm (laughs) going to project it onto all the white people in the world. All the
1: white people. So she wrote something called the Invisible Knapsack, which was the kind of the white privilege checklist. And if you go through that checklist as a young person, who you know, when I was 18, and I'm reading that, it. It was eye-opening to me. I was thinking about things I hadn't thought about before. So there are things in there like when you turn on the television, you 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 see people. You mostly see people who are your race, okay? And I'm like, oh, that is a privilege. That is a white privilege. But what you're saying is true. Much later on, m- much more recently, I've started to think about that in terms of, of what you're calling majority privilege. Some of those things are more accurately termed majority privilege. If you go to China and you turn on the television, you're gonna see a majority of Chinese people on television that's because that's the majority of people who live there (laughs) it's not necessarily something that's inherently you're privileged because you're Chinese in China Um, well it
0: also implies that there's something bad or negative or that makes you feel bad about seeing people who don't look like you like that that act in and of itself is a negative thing, objectively yeah. speaking. So in other words, if I went to Africa and I turned on the television and most of the people on the television were black, that somehow that would cause me some kind of distress or pain. Why right. would it? Why would harm. it? Like, I mean, harm. I don't even, Yeah. Like, <laughs> why would that harm me? First of all, if I didn't, if I were a child and I weren't able to like put it together that, well, I'm in a country where the majority population is black, that's why they're black. Even so, like, I just don't think that's how children in particular mm. Operate. I don't think they sit there and go, I feel harmed because nobody looks like me. And yet that's the argument, and nobody ever has to back it up. No. No, there was nothing scientific about
1: her paper, but it's been the basis of countless studies and books and and other new terms that have been coined. So she coined the the phrase white white privilege. You know, Robin D'Angelo is credited with white fragility, which built on the concept of white privilege, and they just continue constructing this tower of Babel of, you know, the social justice ideology, and it's all resting on sand. I mean, if you get down to the bottom of it, it's like, what were the foundational texts here? Okay,
0: an essay? A rich white lady wrote (laughs) an essay in the magazine. There you go. Another rich white lady wrote a book about how guilty she feels being a rich white lady. Yes. Suddenly we have, you know, sounds to me like rich white lady privilege. I don't know, but... um, What I'm curious about is you. You mentioned how it sells itself based on the goodness component. Yes. And we might be getting towards the why some people attach to it and some people don't. And it's probably like a compliment to you and not so much one to me. But the point being, if you're a well-meaning, you know, good, open, you know, sort of helping personality, also could could be, but point being like there may be like a personality type or even just a focus, a worldview focus. So, um, you know, most of us as parents want our kids to be good people. We want them to be nice and kind and caring. And, you know, while not all of us push the sharing because you have to message, I think, you know, thinking about my own kids, I wanted them to be nice people. Like be kind was like a pretty common thing, right? So if they're selling you as a college student on this is what it is to be a good person. Yes. And these are the PhDs, the experts, the the adults who are in the position of power over you, it seems to me you'd have to be quite the skeptic to not believe it. Correct.
1: Yeah, you would be. And it's. I hear from parents, as I'm sure you do, who have children who've gone off to college in some cases where their daughter is coming home and speaking a woke or starting to, to express some of the tenets of this belief system. And, and sometimes they'll say to me, she's such, they want me to know she's, she's a good person. She has a big heart. And I'm like, no, you don't have to convince me of that. I know, I know Mm -hmm. there are a lot of, uh, especially women, young women, girls who they, this ideology preys on their empathy and it's presented as uh, a way to do good and be good in the world and it's easy to buy into that and, and what you're saying maybe there's a certain personality type I think a lot of things go into it in my case and I'll just speak for me and no one else but I was raised with a belief system I was raised in the southern baptist church and I ended up walking away from that when I was when I was at the science and math school. Like so, around 15 or 16, I started walking away from that faith. I saw some hypocrisy, and I now I look back on it and I realize I allowed con artists and bad representatives, bad faith people, to influence my view of Christianity. Um, but so I walked away from it, and there was a there was a, a gap there. There was a hole there for some kind of meaning, some way of interpreting the world. And now in my, I'm at a phase in my life where I'm wondering if, if maybe, if not all, but at least most people need something like that, need a belief system. This is the way of interpreting the world as you go out into it. And social justice filled that gap. So social justice, if you if you want to break down where it came from. I agree with the people who say it's sort of a marriage of Marxism and postmodernism. We were definitely reading Marxist writers in my women's studies classes. So uh, Foucault, like there was that foundation of Marxism that was a part of it, but what they've done is they've kind of tweaked it. So it's not, it's not the Marxism about class and wealth. It's, it's, they've taken a belief system that said the best way to look at the world and interpret the world is as a struggle between class groups for wealth. Mm-hmm. And we need to redistribute the wealth to make everyone equal and happy. They've taken mm-hmm. that and they've mutated it. And they've said, no, no, the best way to look at the world is as a struggle between identity groups for power. And we mm-hmm. have to redistribute power equally among these groups and then everybody will be equal and happy. So that's, that's the tweak that's been done. It's centered around power and identity rather than wealth and class. I'm sorry about the dogs, that's just okay. one second
0: okay (laughs) but what i find interesting is that you, you mentioned you know we redistribute the power and then everybody will be equal and happy and that's another sort of hidden claim that people don't really question like why would you assume that being equal to other people leads to happiness. In other words, <laughs> I don't look around at my neighbor down the street who drives a BMW and has a bigger house or even Elon Musk, okay? You know, like, let's get, you know, people who have a lot more power and a lot more money than I have. And I don't think like, oh, I'm so unhappy because they have what they have and I don't have it. Or somebody has power, and I don't have in fact, I actively don't want that kind of power. Like mm-hmm. I like being invisible and kind of, you know, not having it because with that comes responsibility. But there's this underlying assumption with all of this that we're being held back from true happiness and true um, I, you know, mental health and all the good things, right, by the, this distribution of power being unequal. And I've never seen any evidence whatsoever that equality leads to happiness, especially a forced equality.
1: Of force equality, yeah. Well, there are so many things that are unsaid in this belief system. So most of the people who are in social justice are never interrogating to, to this degree, the belief system. They're not actually sitting down and having conversations, Deb, about like, what is equality and do I believe that human nature would allow for everyone to be, you know, for us to reach this utopia if only we forcibly redistributed power and made sure there was the correct percentage of women in STEM and women as garbage truck drivers. They, but they don't talk about that part, but
0: (laughs) or (laughs) soldiers, frontline soldiers, right.
1: (laughs) Right. But if only everything were reflective of the percentages of representation, then, then we would, you know, then everybody would, would have no reason to complain, not realizing that a lot of what's driving the ideology is a, a desire
0: to complain i i truly believe a lot of it is fueled by resentment and envy and envy it- and and kind of unhappiness like and somebody said yesterday and it really stuck in my mind they said that um the the problem with the social justice ideas is they can never they can never build anything because in order to build you have to have love and sacrifice that things that are built require a certain amount of love for whatever it is that you're trying to build or that the problem you're trying to solve, and a certain amount of personal sacrifice that you're willing to put in—you know, time, energy, effort, loss—you're willing to sustain that in order to build something. When what we see mostly is anger, resentment, envy, straight up hate, and that can never build anything. That you can't build something out of those, out of those impulses. Yes, you can only destroy.
1: So you're making me think of one of the the things that helped me look at my ideology differently so i was in it by the way for a long time if you have kids who fall into this cult i do call it a cult it meets a lot of cult characteristics with the exception of having one charismatic leader that you can point to and so that i think throws people off and they think well it can't be a cult there's not that one guy you know there's no charles manson or david koresh but yeah but it doesn't need that one charismatic leader it it still meets a lot of the other characteristics but so if you have a kid who falls into this cult they could be in it for a long time i was in it for 20 years
0: right
1: and um one of the things that started to wake me up, there were a few things, uh, but I'll just mention this because you're making me think of it. Somebody had linked I, my little online echo chamber had become completely social justice. I had, like a cult, they encourage you to exclude people, family members, even you cut off contact with people who are not believers, who are not woke, who right. are not part of social justice. They encourage you to view of those people as bad or evil, races, sexes, they call them all these names you know and so you're cutting off contact with those people and in my echo chamber somebody had shared a jordan peterson video and they called him transphobic and i went to that video fully expecting to find a transphobe that i could hate on that you know they like doing they like going and piling on people and i went there and i didn't think he was transphobic at all i listened to what he was saying he was making an argument against compelled speech he wasn't talking about a dislike or disdain for trans people. He didn't even say that he wouldn't use preferred pronouns, someone's preferred pronouns, it depended right. on the context. And right. so I started listening to more of him because I had already, that wasn't the first thing that started to wake me up. And I had already had some, some questions. There, there were other things that happened before that. Right. But he was helping me to better understand the things I was noticing that were wrong, that were inconsistent after all these years that I was starting to question about my belief system. And so he has this video. It's an old video. I definitely encourage you to watch it. If you're a parent who has a a kid who's falling into this, um, because it's not explicitly calling out woke and it might be the kind of thing that they would listen to. It's something interesting. It's an, it's an old speech of his, I think from the eighties. And the video was called tragedy versus evil. And in it, he was talking about the uh, Cain and Abel story in the Bible. And he was saying, this story is really interesting as an allegory for Mm -hmm. two different modes of being in the world, two different Mm -hmm. ways of living. You could look at this story, even if you don't believe this actually happened, you can look at it as an allegory. And so Mm -hmm. you've got Cain who what happens in Cain's story, he doesn't make the necessary sacrifices or he doesn't make sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Um, but he doesn't make the necessary sacrifices for what he wants. He's entitled. He feels like he's owed everything he's resentful. He blames all of his problems on his brother, on others, on God. Um, and where does that end up leading him? It leads him to this Mm. murderous rage. And then you've got Abel, this other mode of being, which is gratitude, he's grateful, he makes sacrifices, he uh, is not entitled, he's humble. And those two different ways of being in the world, you'll really diverge the older you get if you stay in those ways of being. And so I know I'm talking a lot about this, but this was so impactful to me. I was like, the first time I heard it, I think I was at the gym and I I just listened to it again because I started thinking about social justice and how it's really about behaving like Cain. In every interaction right. in your life, it sounds like you
0: started to question whether this was a a way of living that would lead to you thriving or not. And right. you know when you when you're reading and when you're thinking about that story, you're thinking like, what so what am I doing here? If this isn't going to lead to my personal like it, it sounds like it almost snapped you out of the collective mindset into your own mindset and thinking like is this the kind of person i want to be and before we get too far i want to bring that back to this comment here um thank you for the super chat cheeky mirror my dad is a math tutor his hero is marva collins mine too by the way he is white she is black he saw the trait of great teaching as the trait to emulate she didn't need to look like him and this is something i think you know going to what you're talking about when you can break the spell of I'm part of an identity or I'm part of the collective, I'm, par- I'm I'm me, I'm just me, then these, these identity markers of what race somebody is, what somebody looks like, whether what gender they are, whatever, it's not as important as what they're doing, what kind Correct. of person they are, how, yeah. what do, do I want to emulate how this person is living their life? Do I see, like, I'll hear from other people, they'll say what snapped them out of it is they picked up and read some Thomas Sowell. And said, like, wait, I want to emulate this guy. I don't want to emulate these people. Yeah. But you first have to, something has to break Split. that spell that you're not part of this Borg. And you know, you're not a white math tutor. You're a math tutor. You know, you're not just a woman and you know, like part of the woman group or the social justice warrior group. You're Carrie. And when you do that, then it doesn't matter. With everything. You're looking at with the traits.
1: You're also taking your power back when you do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. They really, this belief system, if you get really far into it, and again, it's by degrees, like with any cult, I don't think people really realize at first, especially if they're young, how much of their um, personal responsibility and their ability to, to actually enact change in their life or the world, if that's what they're concerned with, that they're giving up. It really strips you of that agency and what you're saying is exactly right it Mm -hmm. it social justice tells you not just to think of everybody else as what group members they are what groups are they in but to think of yourself that way too it really you it it sucks you of all of your individualism all of your identity and you're seriously you're just this amalgam of of your group status that's why that's why if you look at these woke kids on twitter they have like 15 different identity group markers in their bio because that's all they are they don't have a personality right they have they have identity groups that's their personality i am white straight cis you know fat depressed i'm disabled i'm and they just list out all the identity
0: groups yeah
1: what a poor substitute for having an actual personality right and
0: and, you know, what's really sad, and I've tried to make this point on the channel before, is if you read any books about verbal abuse, one of the characteristics of verbal abuse. So if you're in a verbally abusive relationship, as an example, one of the markers of the abuse is the, the way of speaking that attempts to deprive you of your personal power that essentially attaches responsibilities and obligations to you that are, you know, can be subtle and there's neuro linguistic programming that can be used, whatever. And as I read this chapter about verbal abuse, because I kept thinking I had read this book a long time ago and I won't say why. And, (laughs) and um, when all this stuff happened in the last few years, I remember thinking, this is so familiar. This is so familiar. Why is it so familiar? And I went, Oh my God. And I went back to the book and I realized these kids, what age, whatever age they are at, or even adults, are in a verbally abusive relationship with whomever is impressing upon them that they're members of these groups. Your identity is this. Yes, I am going to tell you that. And if you don't think this way, then you are a this other bad identity. Mm-hmm. And that's verbal abuse. Because yeah. whenever somebody tries to tell you who you are they're trying to break down your own boundaries and deprive you of your personal power because one of your most important personal powers is deciding who you are yeah. that's your decision, yeah. not someone else's right so They'll be like if a husband said to her, "You're my wife and you do this, and you cook and you clean and you stay home and yeah. you do this and that how is that any different than assigning identity group assigning a person to identity groups and we would easily recognize that as abusive. We'd say you don't get to define her, you don't get to say." What she, what she has to think, what she has to do, what she has to say, what she can't say, who she can't be friends with, like we would instantly say, that's abuse. But when it's happening to her kids and it's the teacher or it's happening in college and it's the professor, that's not the first thing that comes to mind is that person's being abused. Right. But they are. It's also, it's, it's, it's not just the professor.
1: Uh, it, it's the social group. I think that's probably for kids an even bigger part of the problem is that they're, if they're in a community, um, let's say at their school or online and on Tumblr or wherever, it's the social pressure from their peers. I remember there was a study done a a few years ago about how kids, it was over 50% of college kids said in a study that they were afraid of of saying what they thought about things. Yep. they weren't afraid of what their professor would think they were but not to the degree they were afraid of what their peers would think. Mm-hmm. And so it's that whole conform- conformity thing about allowing your peer group to influence the way you think about yourself, the way you define yourself. And you're exactly right. It becomes this sort of abusive relationship where you're making yourself small and you, to try and fit in and to show that you're a good person because everyone around you has accepted that this is the belief system mm-hmm. to do that. and. And yeah, it really, it really strips you of any personal autonomy or individualism. And sometimes I look at these kids and I'm like, like, I was at a thrift store a couple months ago in Austin, Mm -hmm. you know, keep Austin weird used to be kind of hippie and it was cowboy and biker culture and you know, Willie Nelson and music capital of the world and all this stuff. Well, now it's become very woke, very conformist and I was in this thrift store and there were these three kids in in line i don't know high school or college age and they all looked exactly the same they were all uh, some kind of uh, at least what they were trying to signal is that they're non-binary they were all genderqueer in some way i'm sure they all had the brightly colored hair the piercings the tats and they all had a mask and it was just like you are trying so hard not to conform to society's standards right but look at you look at the society you're in look at the echo okay. chamber you're in you are the okay. biggest conformist like
0: <laughs> there's right.
1: nothing about you that i look at i don't look at that that kind of a a, a college-age kid and go wow what a free thinker it's it's the opposite do you know people think this i always, I, I didn't right. say anything to them but i was just wondering like nobody's looking at
0: you and thinking wow that person really thinks for themselves <laughs> well, like, and, and
1: the thing no. is we
0: can all we can all in every generation can think back to the the groups right the jocks and the this and the that and the goth and the whatever but and we like the hippies but here's the difference that i see between the standard rite of passage of adolescence and college age kids to find their little tribe and kind of conform with their dress and stuff and do it and what the woke stuff does They've attached, and you made this point earlier as far as it being cult-like, they've attached a virtue. So not only is there only one appropriate cult to belong to, but it's the only way to be a good person. Yes. So we wouldn't have said in the past that like, you know, you might look at the hippies and go, oh, those little hippies or whatever, they're druggies or oh, look at the jocks, whatever. But you wouldn't have said like the only way to be a decent human being worthy of of life, like literally, worthy to be respected and and have their rights respected and be able to speak freely and all that, which is a right. The it was jocks or something like we wouldn't have right. done that. In fact, you would yeah. have said like, wait, that sounds vaguely like Jim Crow and you know racism. Like yeah. that sounds really extremist, and yet here we are. Here we are. You're right. It's it's almost this uh, this
1: merging that's happened between just like the natural. Um, tribes and communities that form in adolescence where people try and find identity within a group, and then they've tied, they've put a religious element on it. Right. And, and so there's a lot of things at play. That's why on deprogrammed, De- I've been doing it for three years now. Um, but it is, as you said, it is a new channel, I was doing it on on safe space for a while. Uh, but but I've been able to have these conversations for three years, because there's so many things involved in why this happens. It's right. psychological, it's, um, it has to do with philosophy, it has to do with, uh, I think, spirituality and God. It has to, it, there's so many different ways to look at like, why is this a phenomenon? And why did right. it take off and go mainstream? When I was right. pushing it, it was a little different because it wasn't culturally dominant like it is now. Right. And so back they, then it was easier to think, it was easier to think that, yeah, you're, I'm resisting. I'm fighting the patriarchy. This is not cool. I mean, it's cool because it's not cool. You know, it's cool because it's not part of the mainstream. And now I don't know how kids are convincing themselves of that because now it is the dominant. McDonald's is speaking woke. Why do you want to speak what these corporations are
0: speaking?
1: Right. At least when I was coming up, I could be like, look, you stupid corporations. you look, you're not woke, but now they're woke. So what's
0: the What's the appeal? That part of it still doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, (laughs) well, unless unless they've gotten what you know, some previous generations, especially those who've had their brains scrambled in terms of, you know, they didn't they didn't get a chance to develop any kind of critical thinking skills of their own. You know, so it wasn't just I want to adapt my outward appearance to this this group, but it's also like I literally don't have a thought in my head. Like I won't know who I am. I'm hollow. As Jeremy Adams wrote in his book, um, I think it's called Hollowed Out, about this generation, and that they, they're terrified. And it's why they react so violently if you criticize something about one of their identity markers or whatever, because they're nothing else inside. Correct. They don't have anything else going on. Correct. And it makes you, I think it makes people,
1: well, it's unhealthy psychologically for a number of reasons one is because your identity becomes so merged with the ideology as you said there's nothing going on and there's this deep-seated sort of background anxiety that a lot of these people have Um, you're more prone to uh, emotional outbursts outrage everything triggers you and the belief system social justice it it encourages that it encourages this sort of i think emotional instability that that um, you're looking at the world as as this oppressive place that's out to get you because of what group status you have. And and if you go into the world like that every day, I went into the world like that, where right. when I say it's a belief system, it's not just like, well, I believe these things to be true. Racism equals prejudice plus power. And you, know, mm-hmm. you cannot dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Like all these different phrases and stuff they have, silence is violence. But, but it actually impacts the way you behave in the world. Cause you go out in the world and you're like, well, that happened to me because I'm a woman, you know, you're primed to look at every interaction, even the smallest things they teach this, they say, uh, the question in any situation is not was racism at play it's how was it at play they assume Mm -hmm. they tell you to just assume all the time that racism is at the root of everything sexism is at the
0: root of everything check your your check your internal bias but assume this yes exactly (laughs) make these 25 assumptions about people but but check your internalized
1: and then because of the social pressure i mean think about some of these kids so you've got that that pressure to conform within the social group You're being told this is the way to be a good person. Everyone around you believes it. And then you start to self-censor. This is human nature too. You almost don't need the group anymore to keep you in line because you start to develop this internal sensor in your head where every word that you utter or type online, you're monitoring it yourself to make sure that you don't accidentally, unintentionally trip some wire that causes your social group to pile on you. This happened all the this happened prior to social justice going mainstream. I mean, in my online communities this happened all the time. It was constant infighting and and warring. Like they don't have friends, they have allies. They have ideological allies and they will turn on you in a second if you say the wrong thing. It's like because they have to show they're a good person by being part of the mob that piles on you and educates you. So if you say something, this is an example i use a lot because some people haven't heard this one, which is surprising because this one got pretty big for a while, but um, there was a, a, I saw somebody get piled on because they said, Elizabeth Warren is my spirit animal. Now this is a social justice person saying this online, but their own community jumped on them spirit animal is racist now. Spirit animal is appropriating Native American culture and you're not aware of your white privilege and using that phrase and you need, and you know, then there's lots of genuflecting and apologizing and I'm so sorry, I didn't intend that. I won't use that phrase anymore. And so now what happens to that little sensor in your head? now Now you've got another box to check off. Anytime you say something, make sure I don't say spirit animal. There's a whole list that you put it through this filter before you even
0: utter a word. And I think it affects people who wouldn't consider themselves social justice warriors or woke either, because when you see the reactivity of people who are and how they want to cancel you and they want to get you to lose your job and they want to you know do all these things to you, that even if you think they're full of it and you don't agree with it, it's really hard to stand up for yourself. I mean, it's really hard to just say, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to just say what I want to say and do what I want to do. You have yeah. to be independently employed or independently wealthy. You need to feel like really sure of yourself and sure of all your other relationships to take that kind of stand these days, even if you see it as what it is. Yeah. Um, and so as you point out, it's a, it's a, a means of controlling, you know, thought control and behavior modification for everyone. Yes. Um, and I think it's important too, that you pointed out that they don't have friends because I want parents to hear this. You know, when you look at your kids and their social interactions, I've had parents ask me all the time, like, well, what about socialization? I wouldn't want to pull my kid out of school because then they won't have any friends. And I'm like, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, but are you sure they have friends now? Yeah. Like, what's your definition of friend? See, all of our definitions have changed. You know, what, like, What a good person is, what virtue is, what character is, what racism is. So what friend is, why wouldn't that change too? Yeah. And they are, they are little, a lot of these people, they're social
1: enforcers and they're, they're making sure your kid stays in line
0: and maybe your kid is making sure they stay in line. And yeah, and maybe the socialization, maybe the, you know, I don't want my kid to feel weird. Maybe they're feeling weird every single day being in a situation where the sands are constantly shifting beneath them and they don't know like if it's okay to be, I mean, my eldest daughter experienced this. It wasn't okay to be straight. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, her best friend was not and aligned herself with the, with the club, right? The GSA club and you know, LGBTQ, blah, blah, blah. In fact, they took over the creative writing club, which was supposed to be a creative writing club. My daughter joined it and the GSA members basically came in and so dominated it and took it over that she was literally the only cis straight person there. And they were relentless, like relentlessly bullying her to the point where she left the club, even though she was there to do creative writing, because she just said, I can't, I, I can only be me. Like, I mean, this is who I am, but she was the one on the outs.
1: There's that pressure. So, so if you think of it again, Like it's an ideology that says the best way to look at the world is as this competition for power between identity groups and like Marxism, they, they divide these groups into oppressor or oppressed. And they also interchangeably will use the words privileged or marginalized. And so within the ideology, if you're in a social system that, that upholds social justice, let's say your kid's school, let's say they're all woke. So within that that culture, it, it's better for you if you can check off more of the oppressed groups, more of the marginalized groups. Right, the because, intersectional
0: yes, matrix thing. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's you get more of a voice. They'll tell you if you're white to shut up and listen. You know, if you're a man, shut up and listen. They will rob you of your voice and your agency. Why? They justify it, because they say you're an oppressor, you have power. You're privileged, you have power. So human nature would say, well, if you're operating within a little uh, uh, community of, of, that believes in this, where where you have more power to express yourself, mm-hmm. if you ha- if you have more of these marginalized groups that you check off, well, humans are going to start to check off. They're going to find ways to check off more marginalized groups. They're not comfortable yet with people saying, I've changed race. I'm trans race. That's going to happen one day. We're going to start to see more Rachel Dolezals eventually.
0: No doubt. But
1: but they're not comfortable. They're not allowing that yet. But they are allowing any type of queer, LGBT, trans. That's why you're seeing this explosion. Because now, what better way to say, hey, look, I'm, I may be a white man, but I am at the top of the oppressed hierarchy because I am trans and I am non-binary and I am queer and I am all these things. And that's also why you're I seeing have five or
0: six mental illnesses yes. that I'm going to
1: broadcast to the world now because apparently yes. that's okay too. That's the other reason. So there's these never ending, um, development of other categories that they can then say oppressed oppressor. And they're coming up with more of these categories of identity, the group status. Cause again, you want to have the oppressed group status. So now people are saying, Hey, uh mental mental health justice. Those of us who have mental health problems, we're oppressed. Okay. Um, I'm depressed and I have anxiety and I'm borderline and I'm not narcissistic. And they're they're listing these things and kids, I found this thing online a couple of weeks ago and people thought it was some people thought it was a meme. It wasn't. It was real. It was from a 15 year old's Tumblr and she's in a whole community of other young, woke people who are now talking about um it's evolved to the point where they're talking about narcissistic personality disorder as a marginalization. So I'm claiming that, and she had made, they have a flag for narcissistic personality disorder. Oh my God. (laughs) They're calling it narco gender. And it's like, it's a person whose gender cannot be defined without um, the the context of, of having NPD. And we are a special marginalized kind of gender because we also have this personality disorder. And that makes us extra, high on that oppressed list, right? That's happening. And then there are kids in there, this is going to sound crazy if parents haven't been down the Tumblr rabbit hole, but there's kids in there now who are saying, Hey, I've got a DID dissociative identity disorder. That's what they used to call multiple personality disorder. There's a Which whole
0: is exceedingly th- rare,
1: exceedingly rare, but they're all now saying, Hey, I've got this too. I have multiple personalities. I'm a system. I have five different personalities. One is trans, one's a ghost, one's a fictive, which is what they call uh, one of the, when one of their personalities is uh, based on a fictional character. And you will refer to us as we and they, and now you're talking to this person. And this is not, I know it sounds silly, but these kids are falling oh, into Oh no, it this doesn't sound silly. It. it sounds
0: terrifying. It's terrifying. Actually. I mean, if you're a parent listening to this and you're thinking that'll never happen to my child, I've interviewed parents on this show who had children they were absolutely certain would never nothing could possibly they were the most mainstream kids in the world and then one day they came home and they all said they were trans and that's yeah. just at this point sounds vanilla compared yeah. to what <laughs> Perry's talking about. Oh, you're I just mean, trans, now you're kind of like hoping just trans. Oh my god, thank you. At least you're not you know effective. And right. I don't mean and I don't mean to make light of this. This is very serious. It is um, one of the things. You know, getting back to the idea of sort of a, a cult, um, one of my locals members mentioned Gnosticism and said that this is kind of like a Gnostic sort of a faith, if you want to look at it that way, in that they're, they have secret knowledge. That's, you know, because that sort of character, like they have secret knowledge that you don't have. And so one of the appeals is not just that this fills up the hollow space of I need meaning in my life. This gives me lazy virtue. I mean, like I can outsource my morality, I can outsource, you know, anything that's that has to do with being a good person to the group and distribute, redistribute my responsibility yeah. to being good, to just having a bunch of traits, which are like a costume I can put on. I can dye my hair. I can put on different clothes. I can, you know, wh- whatever. And now what they're saying is, and I know things you don't know so that you can't, you can't challenge me. It's Correct. not just that you shouldn't challenge me or that will make you a bad person, but you effectively can't because you don't know what I know. I have special knowledge. And it feels like they're moving in that direction where they're they're getting to this mystical level with some of the stuff. And absolutely. Well,
1: they also I think every parent should know if your kid is speaking woke now, everything that they're learning in this belief system, all words are just tools for manipulation, not for communication right. for them. They look at them as tools for manipulation. And everything that they're being taught is used to help them help those who are in the cult, shut down communication and shut down any criticism and any questions, any discussion at all. So it's like an orthodoxy. It's only the belief system is allowed and, and look at all the phrases that they have adopted. They'll, what you're talking about where they say this sort of special knowledge, they call that lived experience, my truth, you don't get to argue with lived experience and they'll use that as examples and people probably heard if you're having a conversation about race and you're not speaking the ideology or the the some of the beliefs of the ideology about race right then if you're white then they say oh well you don't get to argue with lived experience of black people you don't get to speak on this you know that's your white privilege we have special knowledge. Now, if you point out, Hey, this black person over here doesn't agree with you either. Right. Th- they have lived experience that doesn't agree with yours. And they're like, well, they're a tool of yours. They're a tool of white supremacy. They're being you, they take the re- agency from that black person and say, that's not their opinion. They've just adopted that from you're using them. All black people agree with us. Well, not that one or that one or that one, but
0: all the, all of the all other the good ones, <laughs> yes. all the real ones, all the ones worth right. talking to, and that we aren't going to block and, 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 you know, stonewall and get an interfere with and all that. And, and it, it, you know, it's, I think the frustrating thing for a lot of parents is that it's so transparently wrong, right? Like incorrect in terms of how the world really works. It's so transparently oppressive, like the opposite of what it says it's going to be. It is. And yet they have done such a phenomenal job of constructing this this cult, this ideology, whatever, that breaking in is really, really hard. Yes. Now, you've made one suggestion as far as the Jordan Peterson video. What other kinds of things can you think of, if anything, that parents can do to try to sort of break the spell or get through to their kids I mean obviously I would never advocate that somebody say don't be this way because that's never gonna work right but it it feels to me like they're under a spell Mm -hmm. and when you describe what happened to you is like something got through a crack like -hmm. something kind of broke the spell put you back inside yourself and made you more protective of your own perception of things then of your membership in this yes group that's a great way of putting it in my case it was emotional and
1: um I, I so i started waking up in 2016 during the presidential election and i believed a lot of things that about trump that i no longer believe not that i think he's the great i still think he's a narcissist but but <laughs> i believe that he was uh back then A lot of the lies about you know he's a demagogue and he's he's out to he's he's racist and he's sexist and he's homophobic and he's gonna put people in camps and he's a real you know uh, they compared him to a famous fascist dictator and and i believed a lot of that and i also believed the media plays a big part in this now because the media is is I think they've always been engaged in propaganda, but now they've adopted woke as part of their propaganda as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I believed that at Trump, that Trump, Trump fans were the violent ones. That was just right. kind of a, even though I hadn't seen anything, that's just one of these beliefs that, that gets pushed and you start to adopt these opinions that you don't realize are not your own. They're just the opinions of your group. And what happened was I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube of videos of of people on my side, good people, leftists, um, attacking Trump voters. And I had never seen those videos before. And this was at a time, 2016, it was before YouTube had really clamped down on the algorithm. And so you used to get recommended, well, if you watch that video, then watch this one and watch, and now they've really tweaked that. So you mostly just get CNN clips now. But back then it was a lot of Uh, user uploaded videos. And I was just watching scene after scene of these people coming out of Trump rallies and being assaulted. And, and one girl who a mob had pushed her up against a a door and would throw an eggs at her. Another one, these guys were, they were coming out of the Trump rally and they got chased and hit with a brick. This guy was bleeding. It was like watching this and being so assaulted with, with, something that was the exact opposite of what I was being told by the media really shook, shook my foundations of faith, but it didn't change me overnight. I just didn't know how to process that. And mm-hmm. it left me in tears. I watched a lot of these. And I really thought at first, If, as I started thinking about things over the next few months, it was like, if I can figure out how to articulate this the right way to my tribe, I can help them see what I've seen. This is wrong. Let me figure out how to best explain this. This this is violence. This is, this is not right. This is not liberalism. And in trying to do that, I was pushed further out. It was, you know, I didn't realize yet at that point that I was in a cult. It was like, well, these people are all good intention. They all have good intentions too, you know? <laughs> right. And if they just watch this, I was like, look at these videos. And and, and what I would get in the comments was that's cherry picked and that's a misrepresentation. And this is the true reality is this, da, 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 da. And it was this real resistance to hear what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, let me get back up. So in answer to your question, there's a great book i would highly recommend this book helped me understand a lot It's jonathan Haidt's the righteous mind okay. and he's asking in that book how is it that good people can be so divided by politics and religion and truly believe that they're the moral ones and and i like it because he's trying to help us better understand the psychology behind how this happens and how we can have such different views but be fully convinced that we're on the side of good and the other people on the side of evil and in that book, one of the things he talks about is how we tend to make decisions with our emotional mind. Mm-hmm. And social justice people, especially. I think there's a high, a large percentage of people in social justice who are emotionally minded. And and so it wasn't, nobody gave me a list of facts and and nothing like that. It wasn't my rational mind, it was my emotional mind being touched by what I was seeing. And that opened my mind up a little so then I started receiving information I couldn't receive information before that if you had said read this article about um, let's take an issue so the Left will say uh, people on the right are evil because they don't want us to 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 raise the minimum wage and they don't care about people because they why wouldn't you want us to raise the minimum wage and pay people more and if you had sent me an article making the case that well hey people on the right don't want us to raise the minimum wage because they care about people too and they think raising the minimum wage is going to put people out of work and cause layoffs and cause people to cut their staffs and it's going to have a negative impact on people that's why they don't support it if you had sent me that i would have said first thing uh that's the daily wire i'm not reading that like (laughs) right exactly or wherever it came from you know it's like no uh, they have. But if all they, these- if somebody yeah. sent
0: you a video showing like a single mom who just got fired because hiking the minimum wage meant that her boss could only afford.
1: There you go, Deb.
0: You know, could only afford like two employees, and she was the last one hired. And you know, the others had other issues and then you had the the employer crying and saying, I wish I could continue to employ this person, but the law says I have to pay this and I just can't afford it. And it's my family business and I'm supporting my own three kids. And like, if you had seen that scenario, you'd be like, whoa.
1: Conservatives, I will say this as a liberal who's been observing conservatives up close now for suck a couple years this, they're not good at back. storytelling no horrible they don't know Absolutely how to personalize awesome. things as well as li- liberals know how to tell a story and personalize it and they uh there's another great book um oh gosh love your enemies and i'm blanking on the guy who wrote it but author some author anyway Let's in the it. in the book he talks about how when he was working for a nonprofit he had to raise a lot of money for fundraising. And if he were to go out and just say here are the stats on homelessness, poverty, um hunger, here are the stats on hunger in this African country, we appreciate your donation. He's like, no, stats, cold hard stats, they don't they don't touch a person's heart. That's why you see the stories where they're like this is, you know, right. uh uh, this is um, a a jama or whoever he right. his is story. He doesn't have food to eat. He had to, and they personalize it, and I would say that's that's something that conservatives could stand to do. That's a why better. we see
0: the little puppies in the cage for the yeah the animal stuff. <laughs> oh my god! I don't care who you are, like you know you get, you're gonna be you're gonna be touched by that. So, um, it, it's it's a lesson that people need to learn because the left is really good at it. Um, always has been. And the tragedy of it is that I don't actually believe that the people behind the messaging, in other words, the corporate one, you know, the, the ones that are doing the corporate messaging behind woke ideas and university messaging, but I actually don't believe they are truly caring, empathetic people. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think they are quite ruthless and, um, you know, single-minded and focused and on, and their focus is power. And I think that what they know and know how to do is manipulate the mass of well-meaning people to do their bidding. Mm -hmm. And I mean, history teaches us that whether it's Mao Mm -hmm. or Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler, these people didn't care, you know, they might have said they cared, but they leveraged the caring and the concern and the fears and the hopes and the dreams of ever others. And it's like the oldest trick in the book. Um, And that's why I said it's like being in a a verbally abusive relationship. That same person who would try to deny you agency and say, you are this person because I said so. And I'm, you know, in the I'm going to be the one bold enough and ballsy enough to do it. That same person doesn't care about you. They'll say they do. They'll Mm -hmm. say, I'm just trying to help you be a better person. Yeah. Happens in relationships all the time. I'm just trying to out, you know, you're just falling apart at the seams. You need me to tell you these things because if yeah. I didn't tell you these things, you're, you know, you'd you would be a basket case. I'm doing Thank this God for, for you that you have yeah. me. Yeah.
1: That's, That's I mean, look at relationship the, abuse 101. Look at the people who are at so as we said, there's not one single charismatic leader of social justice, but there's several. What my friend gracie west calls the high priests and priestesses of the movement yes and robin de is a great example this is a woman who makes bank off of off of pushing this belief system and convincing other mostly i would say other white women that this, is, that this is the way to be a good person in the world, is to right. divide and judge people and treat people differently on the basis of race, that, that somehow that's the way to end racism. And she prays off of the good intentions of others. She's a total con artist. Yeah. You see the snake oil salesmen, they're the ones that rise to the top. Uh, Brett Weinstein, there's another good video I would recommend, uh, Brett Weinstein did a video Called How the Magic Trick Is Done. This is a few years old now. This is this is back when he was going through the social justice mobbing at Evergreen College. And you know, he's someone who's progressive, had spent his life in anti-racist movement, and suddenly he was being called this racist right-winger, and because he didn't it's agree so with ridiculous. treating people differently on the basis of races Like, wait a minute, that's racist. So in this video, how the magic, magic trick is done, he talks about, it's been a while since I've seen it, but he, he sort of divides the, the people who are in this ideology into two groups, the bad actors and the useful tools. The bad actors do not have good intent. They are using this belief system the same way any Karn artist uses any belief system. They're using it for money, power, the ability to hurt others, to gain things for themselves riches worldly success what have you and then the useful tools people like i was a useful tool i was manipulated by this belief system i'm not giving up my responsibility here by the way sometimes i'll hear people be like oh are you do you need to talk about how you were brainwashed and you're not taking responsibility i'm taking full responsibility for what i did i'm trying to help others i guess understand how people fall into it and how they're not all the same there are people in it who sincerely believe in it like i did and we go out and we would try to help it make sense like help make sense of 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 a belief system that is has so many internal contradictions we were very useful in spreading these new definitions of words and well, no, that's not racist because racism doesn't actually mean what you think it means. It means this, and it's impossible to be racist towards white people. So there yeah. you go, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> just redefine the word, and then you can you can apply it however yeah. you want. And um, I am seeing a lot of these what I, I would call them bad actors in the education world, in that they're making a tremendous amount of money. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars, not millions of dollars billions of dollars pushing things into school districts in the name of social justice and while it may seem watered down in the sense that they don't put into the curriculum materials the same invective and harsh rhetoric that you were hearing as a person on the receiving end of it interpersonally it's the same ideology. It's the same you young child. And this was probably done to you in college. You are responsible to fix the planet. You're Mm -hmm. responsible to fix society. You're responsible to fix other people, which again is another thing that, you know, back in my day, we were told, that's actually child abuse. Mm-hmm. Telling a child they're responsible, telling any human that they're responsible to fix other people is the exact opposite of, A, something that's true and, and possible, and B, it's abusive, it's boundary violating. Yeah, you, you wouldn't do that to somebody who looks up to you as a person in a position of authority or power over them, and yet that's exactly what we're doing. And so I can't find the good in that. I don't think there's any good intention in a program, for example, like transformative SEL that seeks to teach children that they have a responsibility to the collective. Correct. Just can't see that. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm trying to remember who it was. I heard talking about this. It might've been Jonathan Haidt. I heard him speak once and yes, he was talking about, there's two different ways to look at the university system, but I guess you could talk about all of education now, I guess, you, cause this is in K through 12 now is the goal is the goal to teach kids how to think right or is it to teach them what to think and he he's like you know you can look at it um i think he was comparing the way john locke would look at it if i'm getting that right it's been a while since i've thought of this versus marx and right. so one Natural way of law lo- versus yeah. right and one way of looking at it is you're teaching people how to think yep and The other way of looking at it is, no, you're teaching them how to be an activist, what to think and how to go out and enact change. The the, the Marxist view is like the purpose of university is to turn you into these little foot soldiers. The social justice view is the the purpose of university is to shape you into these activists who are going to go out and change the world. And that's exactly the way I left college. And that was over 20 years ago. It's worse now. But all of my cohorts, the people came up at the time I did in similar schools, like. We went into careers where we took the ideology with us. That was our mission. It was take this and enact change in the world. And that's why you see all of, you know, the seeds were planted then, and you see all of this now becoming culturally dominant because there were so many people like me took it into their fields, into entertainment, into um, media, journalism, politics, you know, tech. You've got Google is overcome
0: by this ideology because people yeah, are and moving in. Yeah, you know, we it saw it moving in. That we first saw it with that guy, and his name escapes me, but the one who wrote James that DeMar. memo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time thinking it was bold of him to do. You know, I mean, it was kind of like, wow, this guy has guts. Um, but looking back on it now, and I think that was really the the first, you know, that's like one of the first uh events we can sort of pinpoint and say this was the beginning of the visible takeover of this in the corporate world yes because the reaction to him was so outsized to totally. reality yes that it was like bizarre
1: we saw a lot of those canaries in the coal mine he was one in tech brett weinstein was one the university level
0: yeah evergreen yep for sure
1: there have been so many of those who are like this is what's happening this is what's coming um, when I first started talking about this stuff, so my process of leaving was pretty long. It's not like an overnight thing. And uh, I would say about two years, 2016, 2017 is when I was grappling with what do I really believe and trying to mm-hmm. understand my ideology better. And I had a lot of fear about leaving once I had decided, no, I know what I think now and this is wrong. And this belief system that I've been invested in for so long is the exact opposite of, of what I thought it was. It's like a betrayal. Yeah. of You're finding out that this, it's like finding out a person that you let close to you for so long is, is not who they said they were. It's like it, it, there, there's all these it's, emotions that you're going through.
0: And I can't imagine, well, actually I can't imagine because it's similar to, but it would be only one person. I can't imagine what that feels like when it's your entire friend group or yeah. like you know all your colleagues and you know the, the, the basically the life you've built for yourself is around people that you you know, can't change their minds and you no longer agree with them in a way that is fundamental. Oh yeah,
1: it's it is it's fundamental is the correct word. It's at the very basic level of what is your house of belief constructed on. Right. And that's why I think psychologically it's so hard for people to leave a cult leave a cult of belief because everything is built on that foundation they've built their whole life their whole social circle sometimes their career everything they do their relationships sometimes their spouse everybody's a part of it and so if you there there's a a book called don't think of an elephant by um george Lakoff. this is a book that i read when i was a leftist it's it's by a leftist for leftists to better understand conservatives. And and there's some big blind spots in the book because he doesn't realize it could go the other way too. Um, But but one of the things he talks about is the way that our belief system is like a house, an entire house with a foundation. And if you're talking to someone who has a, a, a certain belief system that's different from yours and you give them a fact that doesn't fit with their architecture, That's why they discard the fact. It just doesn't fit. They can't put that window in the house. It doesn't go with it. They would have to tear the whole house down, down to the root, you know, to the, to the boards, they'd have to start all over. And that's a huge process. I had to raise my whole house of belief to the ground and then start brick by brick with what do I believe? Let me construct a new house and figure out what do I actually believe? What's not a received opinion that I've just accepted as fact without really right. investigating it. And that, first of all, that takes a long time. Cause now you're, you're, I mean, seriously, you're like, well, do, do I believe racism is prejudice plus power? Okay. Let's start there, you know, and then you're like reconstructing this, this thing, but that's,
0: that's hard. It's emotional. I know people, well, and you but, have to fill in gaps too, because yeah. the all the time that you spent in college where they were, you know, teaching you, things like that. You know, racism is, you know, race plus power, power. That was time not spent exposing you to a different point of view. Okay. And so, you know, there are people, there, there's been a movement for quite some time to sort of ban the teaching of CRT in K-12. And I I mean I agree with it in the sense that I don't think there's any redeeming features of critical race theory. And I don't think you could teach in a critical I don't think you can teach critical pedagogy alongside of other pedagogy. First of all, there's no time. Second, it will be massively confusing. And third, it runs completely counter to American, you know, the American system and American ideals. So I wouldn't don't know why you would. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm against it. But I also am a free speech absolutist. So it's like very hard for me to say, you teacher, you know, the only thing I could say is like, you've got to try to be neutral in the classroom. But I don't love, especially at the college level. I don't think you can ban things. I mean, you have to allow for this exploration. But I really wish we could get more momentum behind. Um, I don't want to call it balance because there's no such thing. But at least encouraging and possibly even, I wouldn't say forcing isn't the right word, but evaluating professors on the basis of how well they do this. Okay, so if you don't do it very well, your evaluation won't be so good from your, you know, your peers or university. That you need to expose your students to different points of view. Like you can't construct an entire women's studies class, women's studies program from one political lens, ideological lens. There's, there are women and have been women who have written and talked about what the life of a woman is like in Western society or Eastern society, whatever societies you're looking at from all different points of view. Okay. If you read Zora Neale Hurston, you're going to get a very different point of view than if you read, you know, Angela Davis. (laughs) Okay. Or like somebody else. So why wouldn't you have your students compare and contrast? Why wouldn't you allow them to wrestle with these different ideas and come to their own conclusions? Well, the answer is obvious because you don't want them to. You want them to come to the conclusion that you want them to come to. And that's so when you had to go through your transition, you, it's not like you had a reservoir of other ideas to go back to and go all right you know maybe these make more sense now that i've re- it's empty it's empty it's they near. do they do a good job
1: of you don't interact with other ideas right and and part of that is that internal sensor that you developed that i mentioned but you mentioned thomas soul earlier i never heard of thomas soul until i started leaving my cult of belief He's not taught in any of the critical race theory classes, any (laughs) African American history, like they really push people to the outside of this belief system. And then they make you afraid to interact with them. Like I said, if somebody had given me a daily wire article back then, I would have, I would have engaged in genetic fallacy immediately. You're taught to do that. Even if you don't know what genetic fallacy means, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm not going to engage with that because of the source. I'm not even going to read it. And they cut off. It's like a, it's like a rat in a maze and they cut off all the exits. So you're really just on one path and that's it. You're not supposed to interact. It's bad. Why would you watch a Ben Shapiro video? You know, why would you listen to read Thomas Sowell? And some of these people, you, if they become big enough that you hear about them, like Ben Shapiro, they just, they, make him an unperson that you're not supposed to interact with anything he says and so you have you have passionate opinions about someone who you've never listened to but then other people like thomas soul they don't even have to do that they've he doesn't even exist to a lot of social justice people they've never even heard of him so they don't have to make him radioactive because they've done a good job of just memory holding him
0: which is just and 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 part of the reason for that possibly is that he was a marxist in his younger years mm-hmm. and because he was more committed to empiricism than marxism when he arrived at business school or i should say not business school but he arrived at the at at graduate school rather and was studying economics under people like Milton Friedman and so forth and because he was committed to imp- empiricism he was like i'll go where the data takes me i'll go where the information takes me and it took him right away from marxism because it it pointed all the it pointed out all the problems and how it didn't work in the real world and it just you know it, mm-hmm. Marx got a lot of the fundamentals wrong and so that just disabused him of Marxism because he was willing to follow the facts mm-hmm. and he made a point once where he said you know if your goal is to help people and I'm going to get this paraphrasing wrong but if your goal is to help people how could you begin to be how could you be successful at that if you weren't starting with facts. If you weren't starting with reality, then whatever you're gonna come up with in the end isn't gonna be helpful. Yeah, because you're trying to help someone who's living in reality, right? And so a person like Thomas Sowell is the last person they want to expose college students to because you might follow along his intellectual development and arrive at similar conclusions, or at least follow his process. And of course, empiricism yeah. isn't yeah. what they want you doing.
1: Yeah. Well, that would be a suggestion, I would say, you know also is is you could try to get if you have a kid who's falling into woke you could try to get them to read someone like thomas soul they may not they may react they may already have been uh the well may have been poisoned enough that they look at him and say no i've i've heard about him and he's one of the black people i'm not supposed to listen to
0: <laughs> it just seems so crazy to me
1: but they they do so that what I'm saying
0: mean... is your mind is closed right, <laughs> right.
1: Right. But sometimes, depending on the person, they, especially if they're well intentioned and they're in it because they sincerely believe some of the tenets, you can use some of the social justice tenets against them in a way or try to hold them to those. So they do say within the ideology that white people need to shut up and listen to black voices. So you could say, here's a black voice. Like, would you mind reading this book? And maybe I'll read one of your books. Maybe I'll read your. White Lady Robin D'Angelo book, if you read my black man Thomas Sowell book. Oh they God. might, if they're sincere enough, they might take you up on it. The ones right. who are pretty far in it though, if they've heard no, I'm not reading your right. He's a tool for white supremacy, you know. Right, I'll
0: stick exactly. With my white lady. <laughs> or, you know, as ego brain says instead they'll go see what the left has to say about soul and parrot that. They do they yes. they do that a fair amount. Yeah. Um now I, I would love to have a lot of hope that parents would be able to approach their kids and somehow find an inroad or whatever but realistically speaking it's if they're pretty far down the rabbit hole or in the maze or whatever there it, it's unlikely so and I realize that you don't you don't have your kids yourself but having been a college kid and you know been through this maybe you have some insight to offer in terms of how can parents continue to have, healthy relationships with children they don't like and I hate to put it that way but I mean when it comes right down to it you know and I know Jordan Peterson says, don't ever let your kids do something that makes you not like them but that's that's advice you give to someone who has like you know a little kid yeah. you got to start there if you miss those first seven years of really getting those values and, and exposing them to things in such a way that they are an independent thinker if you if somehow that didn't gel you're you know it's a rare one amongst us who loves everything about our teenagers even when that was in place. So there you are, you're face to face with your child They might be living under your roof still or you're paying their tuition in college and they are actively fighting against everything you hold dear, everything that you are. Um, They're saying things you know to be nonsense and like you don't wanna lose your child, like you don't wanna Mm. lose that relationship but you also need to be, you don't want to enable it. it almost feels like, how do you counsel someone who has a drug addict as a child? Like yeah. it feels like I'm yes. having, I'm asking that question because they sound similar to an addict. They're engaging in things that are self-destructive, that are destructive to the people around them. And yet you don't want to lose them. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, what can you do? I heard from a young man once who told me that he,
1: so he fell into woke at college much later he's, he's a lot younger than me so it's much more recently and he, he started coming home from school and, and calling his dad a white supremacist and part of the patriarchy and you know having these these head-to-head arguments with his dad and he said that he effectively he tried to cut his dad off now not entirely because his dad was paying for his school and everything you know but he said his dad never stopped loving him he did not shy from disagreeing with him and he would, but he would do so lovingly. He let him know I, that he disagreed with what his son was saying, and and he would ask him questions. He was always asking him questions, and trying to get him to think just by. And and people want a lot. As a social, your kid sometimes they want to talk about this belief system. Take advantage of that. Ask them to explain it. Ask them to explain. Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And because you might ask the right question that causes there's so many internal contradictions in the belief system. You might lead them to one of those contradictions just by asking a question rather than pointing it out to them. Don't point it out to them, ask them about it. But he said his dad kept asking questions, disagreeing with him, but also loving him. And he never cut him off, even though his son was calling him awful names. And when he came to a place where he on his own started to question things, he remembered that about his dad Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and they have, and he came back to him. And so I think there's that balance there between continuing to love but figuring out how to do that. And you compared it to a drug addict. And I do think there's a degree of tough love there that might be necessary for some kids. It depends on how much, they're taking advantage of you while pushing something that's destructive, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, like how much you're paying for their existence. Like, you know, there's yes. tuition, car, room and board, insurance, cell phone, things like that. Like after a point, you get somebody sitting there telling you capitalism is evil and whatever. Like, so you won't be needing this phone anymore, I guess. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, you know, I'm paying for a, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Some, after a point it starts getting like, it's like that.
1: Uh, uh, well, another analogy to an addict is at a certain point, it's like, well, you might have to hit some sort of rock bottom with your belief system where you're, you're like, do I hate capitalism now that I'm having to pay for things myself and figure out how to make my world way in the world and acquire things. And, um, I guess I like working for a little, you know, like the, they may have to encounter those things to have that wake up call. I'm not sure where the line is. Like you said, I don't have kids yet. I'm trying but one of the things about growing up late and being in woke the feminist part of woke ideology in particular for so long was there was this disdain for motherhood and so i i don't talk about that enough but i i feel for people who are getting pulled into it now who if i could talk to my younger self it would be like don't look don't write all of this off
0: <laughs> as right. some
1: you know right function of patriarchy and
0: women are just being used like
1: chattel and like all of that they uh anyway
0: Anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of push right now for kids to make permanent decisions and make you know choose permanent solutions to temporary problems um even if we were to assume that there was such a thing called the patriarchy if you really believe in the the you know, greatness of your own ideas to fix it or change it, then why would you assume that by the time you're of childbearing years that you wouldn't be willing and able to have a child and not be somebody's property or whatever, whatever the issue is like, that sounds very hopeless to me. You know, like let's go be activists for a cause we hope to lose. If you're going to say like, I'm going to disdain I'm going to dis you know, I'm, I'm a teenager, but I'm disdaining motherhood 10, 15 years from now. It's like, yeah. uh, Okay. I guess you plan to fail, like that you're not going to have it. You're not going to, you're also <laughs> not going to interact with any men who are decent, you know, like, right. It just, it, like you said, there's so many internal contradictions, but that might be a question a parent might ask and just say like, but I thought you were working on that patriarchy thing. So if you fix it, like, why wouldn't you want to have a kid? Right. <laughs> maybe you're, maybe you're the, the, your partner will help raise it or what, like, you could ask questions like that and get them thinking about like, oh yeah, maybe, I mean, but then you have adults who are pushing kids to sterilize themselves effectively. Yes, yeah.
1: they are. They are. Um, that's another facet of the belief system is that once you're woke, it's like you're done. It's the opposite of, of awakening. It's not present tense like awakening. Woke is finished. I know everything. I'm always going to have this belief system. And sure, I'm 16 and I'm going to sterilize myself now and have a double mastectomy. Like, they they are pushing a lot of permanent decisions on people at a young age. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think of it, in my case, fortunately, like I said, I didn't get hit with all this stuff until college age. But I wonder if if I'd been hit with it at a younger age, if I would have even thought, oh, what's my gender? Like, I don't mm-hmm. fit with the norm or the stereotype of women in every way, so I guess I'm a man. Like, I don't know. I did, I did at a certain point, I guess, uh, I avoided one of my most regrettable decisions, thankfully, when I was 28, I was going to get a tattoo of a women's, the feminist fist in the women's symbol.
0: <laughs> my oh my
1: god! Head, on my arm, I'm so glad I didn't get that. My ex-husband, he was, uh, he was great. He was like, I don't know, like, what, what, you're always gonna want that woman symbol there. Yes. <laughs> oh It's kind of like what you're saying, Deb, Like, well, are we never gonna win this battle? No. We're forever <laughs> fighting.
0: <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, we're going be a 90-year-old woman, and we're still gonna be angry, and you know, with a fist in the air. I. That's. And 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 uh, you know it's it is so frustrating. And this is su- this is such a good point too. As adults, it, know how much our ideas change over time. So it makes it more horrendous that so many are going along and even pushing for this. That's something that I was talking about today. Um, it, things feel upside down, Carrie. They feel like you know we're saying kids are responsible to fix things. Kids are responsible to protect adults. Kids will only feel you know have mental health when they're perfectly safe when we actually know that a certain amount of stress and change and so forth is actually good for mental health like striving mm-hmm. and overcoming and falling down and getting back up is how we become resilient there's different mm-hmm. components to mental health and safetyism does not produce it You know, being, being, you know, we talk about the hover parents and, you know, helicopter parents, and we know that they tend to have neurotic children who are anxiety ridden and so forth. And yet you'll have schools going safe space, safe place, safe, safety, safety, safety. And you're like, but if I decide I don't want my kid to go to the mall alone, I'm an overbearing parent. You know, it's like, come on, this is craziness. So, you know, it's, it's this weird, like everything's been turned upside down to now where I have adults saying little bitty kids need to learn about sex. Whereas we adults would be like, if I went back to talk to my younger self, I'll be like, men aren't even worth talking to and having anything to do with it until you're like 25. I mean, obviously, you know what I'm saying? Like I would tell myself, my younger self, all those many, 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 many hours you spent thinking about boys and relationships and sex and this and that, and your college years, whatever was a colossal waste of your time. Where did that end up? Where, you know, any of those people, do you remember their names? You know, like, and, and, and I was just talking to my 18 year old about that the other day. She's already seeing it. She's already like, you know, I kind of wish I could go back and tell my middle school self that like boys are dumb. You know, like, why (laughs) did I care about all that? But yet we're saying six year olds need to be told about sexual pleasure. I'm like, yeah, no, the opposite.
1: We are in an upside down world. There's a couple of Bible verses about that. Uh, I mean, you know, woe to him who calls good evil and evil good. I think we're at one of those times in history, human history, where we've reached that crescendo where everything is completely inverted. Yeah. And that is also related to the abusive relationship dynamics that you're talking about. We even tell people
0: things that are objectively unattractive. Yes, are beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 we're demonizing things that are beautiful, mm-hmm. and turning it inside out. And this is something I think James Lindsay talks about a lot. Is it's it's part of the Marxist playbook. It's part of what people do to sort of confuse you because you your eye knows. You know the human eye wants symmetry the human you know the human brain like we're biologically and evolutionarily designed for you know to be attracted to certain things and to find certain things appealing and so forth and so when the society says no it's the inverse of that there's something in you that feels uncomfortable yeah accepting that and that's what they're going for is the, the power comes when the people that you want to power over can't manage themselves they're spending so much time feeling uncomfortable and like not okay, that they're looking for someone else to make it okay. Yeah. And in, of course, conveniently steps. And
1: whoever. you're giving them this permanent uh, battle that they have to fight. And and it's, it's outside of themselves. It's the, yeah. all of your problems are the result of this oppression right. that's happening and all of the identity groups you're in. And if only, you could you could fix the world then you would then you wouldn't have this discomfort this disease right you know they and and they i think that works for a lot of people it worked for me for a long time you relate everything back to sexism racism homophobia it's it's this constant like as you said this pressure they're putting on kids and they're teaching them at younger and younger ages that this is the way to view the best way to view the world and and you are a little soldier now and look at what they're doing with the climate change in kids, Greta. Look at what they're doing yeah. with gun control and kids. All the, what's his name? Mr. Harvard. David Hogg.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> Mr. I'm going to make a better pillow. Oops. I changed uh, my mind. Gosh. Gosh. That <laughs> Making pillows is hard. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, so do you have, are you optimistic that we can kind of, turn this thing around? Or do or do you feel like we're going to have to go through to the logical conclusion where things get worse before they get better? Both. First. Both. I am optimistic,
1: but I do think things have to get even worse than now. Because look at what we've seen in the past few years. So in 2016, 2017, when I started waking up, I think that was an acceleration point
0: mm-hmm.
1: where it, it, it social justice like doubled down it became more mainstream and because of that there were some obvious hypocrisies that became apparent to people like me and i know lots of people who started waking up around that time i've in the past few years of interviewing people i've met lots of former social justice warriors like myself and that's very encouraging but on the other hand look at all the people who didn't wake up and even worse when these in, these acceleration points happen there's a lot of people who get radicalized who get pulled into woke who were not there before because now Mm. it's mainstream and it's their first time interacting with it and I know uh people who've woken up as I said but I know even more people who went fully woke at that time and are now I mean they're where I was at a long time ago they're they're fully immersed in it and I don't I don't fully understand that because we've since had we had that acceleration point in 2016, 2017. We had another one around George Floyd. That's when all the corporations really went big time woke, um, and so it's it's gotten to such a, a, a kind of a circus level of insanity that I do look at the people who are in it now and can't see it as like what is wrong with you? Like Pat oswald comedian. Let's talk about someone in the public eye. Like Pat oswald comedian. What's wrong with you you used to be normal and okay. can you not see can you not okay. see what all the internal contradictions all the hypocrisy down is up up is down what's going on and okay. because those people are still uh, so fully invested in the cult i do think it's going to have to get worse before okay. the majority starts to turn away from it and mm-hmm. uh what does that mean things get worse i think i think we'll have to see it this is my pastor talks a lot about this whole thing that we're talking about, this culture war, woke, whatever you want to call it, where we're at right now, culturally, as human beings in the West, he he talks about it as a war on reality.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: at a certain point, reality is going to come calling you can't you can't battle reality and, and nope. push it into submission. So what I think that uh, w- ways in which it might get worse are reality coming to call like if we see a terrible economic crisis, if, if people's daily lives start to be impacted to such a degree that they can no longer live in this, this, uh, cognitive dissonance between the, the fake reality and the real reality, if they're right. forced to reckon, right, come out of that, that sleep that you're in and look at this world around you and look at the, all the fruits of your belief system, look at the right. consequences of all of this well-intentioned ideology. I right. think I think that has to happen, but I am optimistic.
0: <laughs> because after that happens. Well, I well mean, then, the reality yeah. wins, right? I mean, and, and like you yeah. said, it, 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 after that, um, and I think you know when you're talking about the people still getting sucked in, one important component um, for parents to remember is how many of our children are woke adjacent, and I, mm-hmm. I had to keep co-opting their terms, but what I mean by that is <laughs> yeah. they, they're in, an, in the unenviable position of having no friends often or sort of tolerating a certain amount of the, the woohoo stuff. Like, um, just to give an example, you know, my, I have a 13 year old daughter and she goes and takes this aerial silks class where, you know, you do aerial acrobatic type of stuff. Oh yeah. And there are at least two kids in that class of maybe 10 or 12 who are, one is non-binary and one is trans, but they're both born female. And so, you know, she was trying to make friends with these kids. She's very friendly. And she tries to be nice to everybody. And she was trying to make plans to have, you know, one or both of these kids over. And what I found interesting, a couple things I found interesting. My daughter was willing to accommodate them in the sense that, um, you know, one of them wasn't allowed to come over because we weren't vaccinated. And so she said, well, you know. I'll wear a mask and this and that, or maybe we can go outside and go for a walk. And, you know, so my daughter's like making all these accommodations and the girl's like, no, 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 we can't do that. And then the other one was saying, you know, well, my pronouns are, and I can't remember what the pronouns were, but she came to me and said, I want to have this, this person over to hang out, but I need to know, are you going to be willing to use their pronouns? And she agrees with me. Like we've had conversations and she agrees with me that this is. You know, it's like she doesn't understand what people are doing, like that that's not really a boy, whatever. But she she's like, I don't know what's going on with her. I just she seems nice. He seems nice. I just want to be friends. And I told her, I said, you know, I will refer to the child by their name. I That's what I will do, because I don't I don't think I'm going to be talking about them in the third person while they're in anyway, my house. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. It's perfectly fine. She's like, are you going to be weird? And I'm like, no, I'm a decent human being. <laughs> yeah. I don't I treat people kindly, you know, I'm not like nasty. I just, you know, but I kind of was taking her pulse. I'm like, well, how do you feel about all this? And she said, mom, I just don't see what the big deal is. I don't know why you didn't care. It's none of your business. What do you care? It's none of your business. Mm -hmm. And obviously why I care is that she feels so strongly that she has to accommodate other people. Mm -hmm. That's why I care. It's not that I'm so put off by the other child. It's that I don't really notice anyone trying to make my child feel comfortable. And it's not that I would necessarily expect them to, but the demand is all one way and that's not friendship. So there as a parent, I'm trying to teach my child about making friends and what to expect from friends. And I'm stymied by this extra complication that if this were just a regular girl Mm -hmm. saying, well, you have to come to my house and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to accommodate me. It would be a lot easier for me to say to my daughter, do you feel like, that's a great basis of a friendship that you have to do all the accommodating and we could have that conversation. Well, there's no less reason to have that conversation, but now we're talking about someone who's got extreme health worries because of COVID yeah. and somebody who's got their non-binary and they've got pronoun issues. So now that complicates it because if I say to her, why are you making all these, you know, these things like, because they're this and they're that. And and it's really hard to parent when you're bumping up against that and all you want to do is say, I don't care. That doesn't change it. That doesn't give them special protection. They're not wrapped in a special bubble wrap of, of virtue that makes them, that gives them special privileges to treat you like garbage. Yeah. Right. And to expect more from you than you can expect from them. That's not okay. But how do you have the conversation without your kid being like, you're just, And she's tempted to be like, you're just afraid because they're trans. Like, no, I'm not. Right? Yeah. And these are conversations I believe that parents are having all over America right now where they're just like, I want to teach my child courage and agency and boundaries and all these things. And my own kid isn't specifically woke. Right? Like, my kid's not walking around spouting this stuff.
1: But this is the dynamic. Yeah. I would say, well that's that big heartedness we're talking about where exactly. someone is trying to accommodate and they're pleasing they're a pleaser and they want everyone to feel comfortable and I think uh, more often than not that that you will see that in girls not, all, not exclusively but girls on average tend to be a little bit more of the pleaser personality and right. um, I don't know at that age if I could have if somebody had told me you know well, it's important to figure out what you think about these things and have your own boundaries for how people treat you i don't know if that would have made sense to me maybe it would have it's hard to remember
0: back that far i, I mean but- i'm i'm thinking back and I, I i'm with you i don't i don't know if it would so that's kind of what i've fallen back on is give it time you know i i've tried to be i've been uncompromising in the sense of my own values like i've made it very clear to how i feel about a thing Mm -hmm. but I've also told her, you know, look, you have to make, ultimately make your own decisions about who your friends are going to be. Yeah. But if somebody's going to come in my house, there's a limit to the accommodations because it's my home. And that's, and that's how that works. And I hope you would, you know, think the same way about your life, you know, like what was going on, but ultimately it's up to you. So I've kind of tried to like ease her into it so I don't sound like some dogmatic, you know, like do it my way or you're wrong, because then she'll just rebel anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the majority of parents are facing what I just described. The woke adjacent, yeah. This woke adjacent thing of like, I'm trying to teach my kid character and boundaries and things in a world of people who are boundaryless mm-hmm. and are making demands they're 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 saying you know because i am all these list of things that means you have to do the this for me and you feel disempowered when you want to as a parent push back on that and very often it's coming from the school mm-hmm. so very often you know we see it with the push to put like porn in the library yeah. or to teach you know sex ed and it's like well some kids have abusive parents i'm like some yeah. but you want to treat my child like I'm abusive. So everything is where it's like all in deference to the woke. It's like this group of people that we're all tippy-toeing around and walking in eggshells around, which is another characteristic of abuse. Yeah. A borderline. A That's actually a characteristic
1: of borderline personality disorder. Right. Where they're so right. emotionally unstable, you have to, you're, everything is fraught with tension of if you say the wrong thing. That's what it was like being a social justice person. It's like, that internal sensor that you have in your head. I don't want people to take this the wrong way. You right. don't have to say this the right way. What if I make them mad? What This if I... is, a, this is yeah. a good
0: point from Cheeky Mirror. It may not make sense to them now, but you plant the seeds and, and that's absolutely correct. Lots yes. of things that I was told that didn't make yes. sense at the time. So it is worth saying. And and like I said, I'm I'm trying to find that middle ground as a parent myself and I'm only like, I'm only being open about my own experience with my kids in, in thinking that, you know, if somebody out there is watching this and having a similar experience, maybe there's something we take from it. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, you know, for what it's worth, I, you know, there's that. Um, so we're coming up on, I've taken so much of your time, but I do, before we finish, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit because you've touched on it slightly, but I don't want to finish this off without making it clear that you went through a grieving process. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So if you do have kids coming out of this, no matter what age, maybe they're later in life like me, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, yeah, there is a grieving process because you're, you're losing things. You're doing like in the Cain and Abel story, you're making sacrifices like Abel. If you choose to make those sacrifices, I mean, they're, they're real. The, the positive side, the, the silver lining is that knowing what I know now, I, of course, in retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can't believe it was such a hard decision or that, it, that I did grieve so much because you don't know what's on the, in the unknown when you
0: lose things. That's true. You've and got that blank space.
1: You have no idea what's coming after. And so you still have to, you will have fear about that. Mm. Um, I had a period of, I had written to Jordan Peterson uh, after watching some of his videos and he read one of my letters on his channel And I was so terrified. I was still working in entertainment at the time. I was still known as the feminist, the woke manager, you know, worked with woke comedians. Um, I was so afraid of what if somebody figures out that that's me that wrote that letter. And uh, he said at the time, you need to get over your fear. But that was six months later until I was over my fear. I knew logically what he was saying, what he meant. And I agreed, but it was a process. It took me six more months until I wrote my first essay of trying to come out and explain to my social justice friends what I was grappling with. And during those six months, it was, it was just, I guess it was a period of both becoming more confident in what I as an individual actually believed what things had I interrogated and come to my own opinion on, Mm -hmm. and then also grappling with, well, what am I going to lose and having to become okay with that? Because the fear of the fear of continuing to be a part of that ideology Mm -hmm. became greater than the fear of what I was going to lose because I, that ideology is evil. Right. It is racism disguised as anti-racism. It is sexism disguised as anti-sexism. It's oppression disguised as anti-oppression. Like to, to, to use people in the way that it does and to turn people, well-intentioned, a lot of them kids, college mm-hmm. kids, and turn them into foot soldiers for such evil, for the opposite right. thing of what they think they're doing. I couldn't stay quiet anymore. Mm-hmm. and But when I did speak, it was like, yeah, these things happen. I lost... Uh, my whole social circle pretty much unfriended me eventually. Um, you know, I, I had, you get, have to get over that fear of what you're going to be called, this is big for kids because you know, it's your whole social group that you might lose and they're going to call you a ra- the worst thing that, that a person could be a racist. And you know that it's not true, but what you have to get over that fear of what if everybody else thinks it's true, it's true. So what, mm-hmm. so what the truth is more important and and when you come to that place i don't know how you get there but when you come to that place of saying the truth is more important i'm going to cling to the truth even if everybody else believes the lie about me um there's a whole grief that happens there i think a lot of it is death of ego i'm still going through that in different ways i guess you never get over death learning death of ego but it doesn't matter what they think this guy asked me once um this was recently he you know people have these like uh these problems they do, they, they're like, would you rather, that game, would you rather? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't a whether, would you rather, but it was similar. He said, he said, um, well, I guess it was a would you, he said, would you rather have sex with a bear and have nobody know that you did that? Or, or would you rather not have sex with a bear and have everybody think you did? And I was like, I'd rather not have sex with a bear and have everybody hmm. think I did, <laughs> like, right. duh. But that wasn't a duh for him. He was like shocked. He's like, well, I would rather have sex with a bear and have nobody ever know. I'm like, what? You would rather defile yourself and the bear, (laughs) your sacred being, you would rather defile yourself and live with the lie that you had done that as long as nobody found out. That's awful. But I think that, that I bring that up because I think that's where a lot of social justice people are the ones who've started to question it anyway they are like i would rather live this lie of this evil ideology and let people think i believe in it too
0: mm-hmm.
1: than to have them all think i'm a racist which i know is not true right and they're so afraid of that and you just have to let that die that's your own ego who cares if everyone thinks the worst thing about you that's not going to happen by the way you're going to find people who don't think that
0: of I'm course telling you.
1: But even if that were to happen, you, I think people have to come to that place of accepting. This may be the suicide of my professional life, my social circle, my right. my uh, what people think of me, my you know my good name, <laughs> right? Like all of that stuff.
0: Is that weird I, that your good name would be associated with so much hate yeah. and anger and fear and all yeah. these negative emotions and and. I just, every day I'm so glad I grew up with like Jiminy Cricket. It sounds so so trite, but you know, like always let your conscience be your guide. I remember even as, as a kid coming up against some of those situations. I mean, nothing like the bear, but the kind of thing where I knew in my mind that I hadn't done anything wrong, you know, like, and that was so much better than doing something wrong and having to, like, even if no one knew about it, just like carrying that around, carrying around something that you're, that you are ashamed of, or carrying around something that you wish you didn't do, those kinds of regrets are, are excruciating. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine, I actually find it very liberating, very freeing to care less about what other people think. We all care a certain amount. There's nobody who cares zero. Okay. But the less I can care, in many situations, like it's very freeing, Mm -hmm. you know, it it just, it's like a weight off your shoulders to be, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to do it anyway, authentic, (laughs) but you know, to like to be your true self. And, and at the same time, I recognize that that is something extremely difficult for children because they're they're still figuring out who it is. (laughs) But they also
1: know what authenticity is. Kids are, they can sniff it out. That's true. And even if they're in this cult of belief, That's what causes that internal something's off and they don't quite know what it is because they may meet a kid who's authentic and who's not part of the cult and they may judge them because they're in the cult and this is what they're doing, but internally they know there's a part of them that knows the truth and that respects that person. I I fully believe this because they can smell the authenticity. That's a person who actually is not a conformist, right? They know that. And meanwhile, they're all looking exactly the same and wearing their uniform and their blue hair and their masks and tats and piercings. And this person is like not conforming. They know that. And I think they secretly crave it. Even if they've pushed it down, they want kids, especially want authenticity. So, There's a. Uh, I know I'm bringing it back to the Bible, but I've, I've found there, you were talking about how things that you, the seed, Cheeky Mare said things, seeds that are planted a long time ago and they maybe don't make right. sense until later. There's so many aphorisms. There's so many Bible verses. There's so many things that I used to think were cheesy and trite. And now I'm like, that's absolute truth. I may, it makes sense. No wonder <laughs> we say that, you right. know, like. And yeah the, there's
0: a reason <laughs> that that book is still around uh yeah all this time yes so,
1: and there's this know. one verse where uh paul talks about all of his worldly accomplishments that he lost right when he when he became a christian and he says i consider them all dung poop they're all shit (laughs) all of those things that we put all this stock in what other people think of us our reputation our accomplishments none of that matters compared to
0: having the truth i would agree it's it's a it's a it's a tough lesson to learn though and it takes a long time i think for it as part of the maturation process is finding out like what actually matters what lasts um and you know, it's part of why I get so worked up when I see adults in a position to take care of children and teach children. You know, telling them the opposite is true, like telling them like, your identity is this, and you know when you're six. Like that is so harmful. Like to tell a kid to nail a kid down to a chart yeah. at such a young age, and not just to you know say, you know what, it's a you're a work in progress, and by and I mean that word work in progress. In other words, you are gonna be working on you. No one else can do it. No Mm. one can tell you who you are. No one can define you. And I thought the whole point of the movement to accept people who are gay and lesbian and so forth was to just be like, whoever you are, I love you anyway. Like you get to be who you wanna be. You get to love who you wanna love. You get to live life on your terms. That is a, but so do I. <laughs> you know, like in other words, that that was a mutual like that people wanted mutual respect. And it's turned into, no, no, we're better beings than you. Yeah. And we're it's the superiority thing. Yeah. And um I mean, you know, we could we could keep going and going and going for hours, but I know that you you've got other things to do. And I just I'm so grateful that you came and, and shared all this so openly with us because I know there are parents out there. Who are dealing with this, like I said, probably most of them dealing with it, like how I'm experiencing it, because that's just majority, you know, Mm -hmm. but there are a fair number who probably have a child, might be a younger version of what you were when you went through it, but they're just sitting there like, what, what the hell? I, I sent my kid to college, a reasonably, you know normal person. I mean, I don't mean to say normal, but you know, a person who I thought had their own identity and now they're coming home parroting things like they're almost a robot. And, um, I, I I feel like you you've given people hope. I hope people listening feel like that your child can come out on the other side of this.
1: It might be a long time.
0: Yeah. My
1: aunt prayed for me for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) get busy I, mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing to me you know and meanwhile i was writing her letters telling her what a tool of white supremacist patriarchy she was
0: <laughs> i <laughs> like i just i you know i i don't know but i would love someday to create you know maybe we can talk about it in another another time but create a course It's almost like create a course. I mean, people would have to come to it of their own free will, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. but like a course for people ranging in age from, let's say, like 16 to whatever, infinity, uh, that would be aimed at, you know, re-examining your identity. Mm -hmm. So in other words, rather than putting it straight out there, like deprogramming your woke self or like, right, Yeah. but just kind of like, (laughs) you could even put critical in there. You mentioned that there's not a lot of critical examination of this ideology right Mm -hmm. so you know you could even you could even create a course it was like critically examining your identity critical critical theory right (laughs) or something but the point being like let's 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 deconstruct now they may come away with it still feeling all attached to whatever but i love your your suggestion of asking questions I love that approach. I think having people arrive at their own conclusions after being asked a series of probing questions is always more effective than lecturing. And, you know, just say like, well, what do you mean by that? And can you give me an example? And like, how is this helpful in your life? And tell me how this is helping you thrive. And what do you anticipate the world will look like 20 years hence if you win? You know, like questions like, like this, that, um, you know, and even putting forth some alternative, ideas about identity. There's some great writers through the ages. Go back, you can go back to the ancients, yeah. you can go to the Bible, you can go to all different things that hone in on a different way to look at the self and just put that in front of people and just be like consider this in the in in reference to your own identity right now. How do you feel about this statement? Mm-hmm. And just see what you know, it could be like a little webinar, a symposium or something, but I think something like interested. that I think that it's worth creating if only for the intellectual exercise of creating it and then having it live out there. Um, because I do think there's going to be a market for it. Yeah. And I don't say that cynically. I say, I think there'll be people possibly like you who have something chip away at that armor that get breaks through. And then they're searching and they're like, okay, where do I, it is like this big void and I feel unmoored. But if you had a program that was like, we, this, try this. This might help you to go through this process and go through this grief and go through the things you need to go through to help you get through a little quicker, help you get mm-hmm. through it. It's, it. you can't not get through it. You have to do it. Um, mm-hmm. and I hate to do that term. I like have to use do the work, but, um, but it was work for you. Yeah. It wasn't easy. And
1: it, yeah. And, uh, I guess one other bit of advice I would give parents if they're if they are dealing with kids who've, who've taken on this new belief system and are speaking it is just to be your beliefs in your behavior, because so much, it doesn't matter what you say, truly, it matters how you treat them yeah, and and what your behavior is and that people notice that they can tell they'll remember the way that you treated them. They may not remember what you said you believed about individualism and authoritarianism, but they'll remember the way that you treated them. And I've had people tell me that I helped wake them up. It's never been a conscious decision. Or, I mean, other than, yeah, doing my show, sure. But it's never been like me preaching to them. Right. It's always been something I can't really put my finger on where their heart opens to me a little because of probably my behavior and and the way that i i'm just i'm trying to be my beliefs like jordan peterson talks about yeah this other way of being and if they don't have that especially someone in social justice is fueled by resentment and and depression and so many people in it are unhappy and if they see you and the way that you live life is different and you don't you're not burdened with all of that depression anxiety resentment and 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 use or someone who they would think of as joyful or th- full of gratitude or whatever. If you're behaving in the way that you truly believe is best to live in the world, they'll see that. Yeah, they'll see that. People want that.
0: I believe that is true, and I think I think that is that's a really powerful message to end on. Is just you know live your beliefs and be yeah. you know like be be that example. And if nothing else, it strengthens your own resolve to continue to be the the person, you know, on the outside of that mainstream whatever it is. And no matter how that changes, to just remain committed to your own definition of identity, your own definition of yourself and your values and your boundaries. Yeah. So, I think that's very powerful. Yep, live it, breathe it, exist, you know, just and be, be a true nonconformist, kids. Right. <laughs> Right. I love this up here, Dion. Did you see what Dion put up here? It's like nonconformist travel as a rule in bunches. You rarely find a nonconformist who goes it alone. And woe to him inside a nonconformist <laughs> clique who does not conform with nonconformity, Eric That's Hopper. perfect. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> it's so true. We, but like I said, we used to see them at school and high school and be like, there was the group of this and the group of that, but they didn't have this, um, you know, I occupy the moral high ground nonsense. That's, yeah, that's relatively different. new. And I mean, it's not new in the world. It existed in the Chinese Cultural Revolution and others, but it's new here now. So, yeah. Well, Carrie, thank you so so much, everybody. Please make sure you go subscribe to Deprogrammed so you can get more of Carrie and more of her content and learn more about all of these things. And I am very grateful that you came and shared all this with us today. Thank
1: you for having me on. That was fun. It didn't feel like two hours. I know. Yeah. Bye-bye.
0: So, thanks to everyone who came and please like, share, comment and subscribe. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your afternoon and I will see you next time.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>